This podcast contains explicit content and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Don't say we didn't warn you. Hi, my name is Madison and you are listening to Who's Knocking? Um, It's a true crime podcast. Today, I am solo again, um, so that's what's going on. Welcome. Um, yeah, Hannah couldn't be with us today. I'm trying to get stuff done because I'm nine months pregnant, dropping this baby any time, hoping sooner than later, but it's, it's not out yet, so <laughs> it's really annoying. Um, but yeah, so this week in... Um, news i think this will be a little bit old by the time this episode actually airs but um very big news for the city of toronto which is where i am right now so relevant to me um but the guy who in 2018 rented a van and rammed it into a bunch of people um he was sentenced and he got what seems to be the max um 25 to life with no chance no life in prison with the possibility of parole in 25 years which is our uh highest sentence in canada um and the judge made it very clear sorry my son is coughing he's asleep um but the judge made it very clear that just because he's eligible for parole in 25 years does not mean he's gonna get it he's showed zero remorse and this is one of the deadliest killing sprees in Toronto. I don't I don't know what the what the record is, but this has got to be up there, maybe even the worst. Um so he was also sentenced to 20 years <clears throat> for 15 counts of attempted murder. Um but that's going to be served concurrently, so it's not going to really be adding any time. Um but he was found guilty of 10 counts of first degree murder and then as I said, 16 counts of attempted murder. He killed 10 people on this rampage. They were Ji Hun Kim, age 22, So He Chung, age 22, Anne Marie D'Amico, 30, Andrea Braden, 33, Chul Min, Eddie Kang, age 45, Renuka Amarsinga, age 45, Dorothy Sewell, age 80, Gerald Brady, age 83, Manir. Najar, age 85, and Mary Elizabeth Forsyth, age 94. And then three years after that, actually, there was another woman, Amaresh, uh, who was age 65, and she died um, from injuries sustained that day. Um, I think she was she was an older woman, and she, um, I think she had a back injury, and she died three years later. So that would bring it to 11 people. Um so this guy, and for those of you who don't know, um, we're not mentioning the name. They've they've really tried to keep from mentioning his name. Like the judge wouldn't even say his name because um, clearly he wanted notoriety. But he had he'd rented a van three weeks before he used it to kill these people. 
And he told the investigators that he had set out to kill as many people as possible and that he drew inspiration from the incel movement. Um, and I listened to his initial interrogation. He was like a big fan of Elliot Rogers, um, who we've spoken about before, but he's the guy in California who went around shooting people and had that huge manifesto. And it seemed that he was very unhappy with his um, lack of a sexual life with women. And then uh, during the trial, uh, his lawyers tried to argue that he was not criminally responsible because he uh, he was on the autism spectrum disorder. He had autism spectrum disorder? Yeah, he was somewhat autistic, and people did not like that, obviously. Um, autism does not make you a murderer, and that's what the jury and the judge thought as well. So... That didn't fly. And so, uh, yeah, it was a big day uh, recently that, that that was all sorted and he was given a sentence. And it's been uh, since 2018, April, that that was a thing. So it's, it's nice. I mean, it's, you know, it's not nice, but it's, it's good to see it being wrapped up. It actually happened, the, the, the killings happened uh, super close to where Hannah and I went to high school together, like literally down the street. So it was like, you know, it was a big, big thing. Interesting too, like there, there's, I didn't really realize until recently how many like horrible killers there have been in, in, well, in Canada and then specifically in Ontario in, uh, you know, we got Oshawa, we got uh, Scarborough, uh, you know, we've already done Paul and Carla, um, that's Scarborough, we've done Adam Strong, Oshawa, um, Russell Williams, also uh, Ontario, um, and then you have, you know, Robert Picton, you have um, Bruce MacArthur, that was Toronto, there's been a lot and I don't, I don't know if like comparatively, but you just, you know, I feel the city feels so safe to me and this entire country feels so safe to me. Um, and to, to realize that how many fucked up individuals have been here just preying on people. Um, I don't know. I guess it's also just proof of a large population, but anyway, I, next week, hopefully next week, depending on the baby situation but coming up next I do have another I guess it's I'll give you a clue it's it's mostly Ontario a little bit of uh Quebec action for you another big case um super super interesting super fucked up um I think I've mentioned it before but I think it'll be a two maybe three-parter some some fun stuff so so yeah and today I think we'll get into it we're we're doing well I'm doing a an episode and it's on uh one woman and this was a this was a suggestion actually from my friend Taylor Teets we like to call her um she's one of my best friends and she saw this episode of 48 hours and was like you have to do this and I was like all right, I will. So there you go, Taylor. Um, 
yeah, so I'll get into it. In the rating of this, like, I don't, I'm going to give it a five. Solid five. Um, but yeah, you guys, you could be the judge since Hannah's not here. I have to try to guess what, what Hannah would say to all this. She'd say, oh, come on. Because <laughs> that's what she always says. <laughs> shout out Hannah. And she'd also say shout out. Shout out Hannah. <laughs> anyway, today we're going to talk about the story of Catherine Shelton. And now Catherine starts off as Catherine Mahaffey. And then it's a later marriage that where she changes her name to Catherine Shelton. So for now, she is Catherine Mahaffey. And this one was is a little bit difficult to research um, for a number of reasons. For one, most of the information came from a like 48 hours episode, um, which was not available in Canada. I was only able to get the podcast version, which has all the same information, but you know, you, you don't get the visuals, which are, I don't know how important because <laughs> I didn't see them. But there's a couple other interviews or, or um, articles and stuff, but there's also a lot of there's all these um websites that make up like fake bios of people that you just cannot trust the information from at all and there's a lot of those on her there's really not much about her childhood or her family and she was born or I guess like the first half of her life was like way before the internet so it's it's a little bit difficult but I I have strung together what I think is a good enough amount of information for an episode but please if you if you've if you are aware that any of my information is correct or if you have anything to include, I would love to to hear it um, and then I can like update as we go. But here is a story of Catherine Mahaffey, later Catherine Shelton. So men dropped like flies around Catherine Mahaffey. She is what we would call allegedly a black widow. Oh my god, my kids had a cold last week and they were home and now they have this like residual cough. So I, I don't know if you hear this like insane coughing in the background. It's you you might be hearing it, I can't really tell. Um, so sorry about that. That was it. So, yes, it, it, this all came to light mostly by the work of this woman. Um, she was a 48 hours correspondent journalist and her name is Jenna Jackson and she has interviewed Catherine Mahaffey a number of times over the years like over the last 20 plus years I think she began interviewing her or had her first episode with her in 2000 and she just put out a recent two-part episode on 48 hours um, in 2022 I believe might have been 2021 I'm not sure but anyway, she's known Catherine over the years and she's she's had her little run-ins with her and Catherine is a very interesting character. So their relationship is kind of odd, but uh, this is the source of, excuse me, most of the information. Um, but as I said before, there's barely anything about Catherine's childhood or family um, so all I could really scrape together and that I found that I'm like not even a hundred percent sure is true is that I know according to some sources that Catherine was born on June 6th, 1948, somewhere in Philadelphia. And at age four, she moved with her family to Houston, Texas. 
Um, as a child, apparently, Catherine was a pretty feisty, tomboyish girl, and she got into a lot of physical fights with both boys and girls. That's all I could really find. Um, and that kind of checks out. We know that Catherine began practicing law in the 1970s, that she was like tough as nails, super smart, and she knew it. Um, Catherine was vivacious and attractive and men were quite into her, especially like she worked in a very male dominated field. She was at the courthouse all the time and everyone was like, oh, that like curvy blonde lady, like they, they were into her. And to this day, Catherine has a very crazy reputation in the area. A lot of people who worked within the courthouse had stories about Catherine. For example, defense attorney Robert Pelton claimed that Catherine once almost killed him in the courthouse. It was 1980, and she was on trial for shooting a man named Gary Taylor. And we will get to that, don't you worry. But he was asked to take Catherine aside because she had allegedly taken sleeping pills and was threatening to kill herself. Catherine is also a very dramatic woman. Um, he says that she grabbed his tie and pulled him into the judge's chambers and told him that he was going to die with her. And there was a gun on the table and a window leading out of a four-story drop, leading out to a four-story drop. Um, and with some yelling and struggling, Robert, Robert was able to alert some bailiffs who were then able to come in and defuse the situation. Now, apparently, she had not actually taken any sleeping pills, um, but she was taken away to the hospital to get her stomach pumped, which I guess is where they discovered she had not taken any sleeping pills. Robert says he didn't think that she really wanted to kill him, just that she was suffering from some sort of mental break. But let us go back to the beginning, and you can be the judge of that. So, we're going to go through starting in 1969, and we'll go through all the men who Catherine has had interactions with over the years. So the first man we think we know of, uh, possibly that was victimized by Catherine Shelton, was her first husband. And this was Navy officer Matthew Quinlan. They had met and they were married very quickly in 1969. And in that same year, Quinlan was sent to Tokyo, Japan um, from the, the Navy. He was I forget what they call it there. He was placed or whatever in uh, Tokyo and Catherine went with him. So that sounds fun. The first year of marriage, you just get to go to Tokyo and chill. It was later discovered that during that time, there was an incident where Catherine ended up shooting Quinlan with his own service gun. And it did appear that there was a military probe into the matter, but that she was never formally charged with anything. And Catherine claimed that the gun had went off accidentally. Now, Matthew survived the incident, and it appears that there were no charges laid by him. But about a year after the incident, Catherine and Matthew were divorced, and Catherine moved back to her home to study law at the University of Houston. So this is, this is the first relationship of hers, and I think we'll see a pattern here um, of kind of shorter relationships. And we haven't heard from, from Matthew Quinlan, but I... I kind of feel like after getting to know some of her other relationships, I think I have a certain idea of what Matt Quinlan would say about the relationship with Catherine. And I think he would probably say, if I were to guess, that it started off very sexual and very intense and that they were very into each other. But soon she got possessive and she went a little, 
I don't know how to say it politely, but she, she went a little crazy and, uh, she ended up shooting him and, um, she says it accidentally went off. That's all we know. Let's see. So then in the 1970s, while she was studying law at the University of Houston, Catherine was dating a man named Ferris Bond, and both of them were students. And not long into their relationship, Bond noticed that Catherine had some rather violent tendencies, and he decided he would end things with her. After they broke up, Catherine turned very violent, and according to Bond, she began stalking him. And she would continue to do so for the next three years, according to him. Again, of course, she denies these allegations. He claims that she stole his car and shot at him with a shotgun and burned down his apartment in 1974. A neighbor actually did claim in one source that I found that they saw Catherine climbing out of the window of the apartment just before the flames began. Um, And then when Ferris started dating a new woman, I think this was within the three years, she ended up getting attacked and severely beaten by an unknown assailant. Coincidence? Perhaps. Catherine was never charged for any of these things, and Ferris decided in order to escape her, he would just join the military corps. So he, the, the, the Marine Corps, sorry. Um, and he claims he did this to escape Catherine. And as I said, Catherine denies all these claims, and in the 48 hours episode she says that some men just can't handle her and that's this is what this is how how they've reacted now in 1976 Catherine was a law student at the University of Houston still and she began dating a man named George Tedesco George Tedesco was an anesthesiologist and in 1978 they decided to break up but Things got very nasty. Shelton, being a law student, I guess she's still a Mahaffey. She's still Catherine Mahaffey. Um, But she was a law student, and so she decided to sue Tedesco, claiming that they were common law married and that they had been for over a year because she wanted half of his estate. Now, George's family disputed that and said that they had only been dating for a few months. But she did bring them to court and throughout the proceedings George started accusing Catherine of stalking him and of burglarizing her home his home sorry so this is the second man accusing her of stalking and burglarizing um then into the proceedings there was one day that George did not show up for the family court hearing and police later discovered him dead in his own garage George Tedesco had been horribly beaten to death with a tire iron, and there was blood seeping all the way out from under the garage door. That's how they discovered that he was dead, because they went to go check on him, and they saw the blood coming out from under the garage. Um, There were bloody drag marks leading to where George's dead body lay, and the bloody tire iron lay beside George wrapped in a towel. George had a broken nose. His skull had been bashed in. His right eye was crushed and multiple teeth had been smashed. And on top of that, his Corvette was missing. Now, police, I think the, the idea of the Corvette missing was so that to make it look like a robbery or whatever, but the police did not think it was a robbery from the get-go. They thought that it looked personal. For one thing, the beating was absolutely brutal. 
He suffered multiple blows to the head and died from blood loss, so it was not a quick death. And even though his car was gone, he was still wearing a bunch of jewelry and he had his wallet on him, which I'm pretty sure had some cash in it. Now, immediately, Catherine was the prime suspect, but she was never charged. The detectives knew about the messy divorce and what the two of them were going through. I'm sure, um, I don't know how they knew, but I I don't know if she didn't have her like big reputation yet, but they knew about all that. And Catherine had attempted, after all this, had attempted to change her official status from estranged uh, wife to widow of George Tedesco and also started a probate court filing so that she could take control of George's estate and assets immediately after. Now, George's family was having none of this. They couldn't believe the audacity of this woman. And in order to try to stop her from doing this, they hired a lawyer and a PI, and then they filed a wrongful death lawsuit and named Catherine and another man named Tommy Bell in the lawsuit. The suit, unfortunately, never made it to trial, and to this day, George's death remains unsolved. Now, Tommy Bell, who I just mentioned had been convicted of robbing George Tedesco's home a year earlier and was found with stolen guns and artwork. Now, that would have been in the year, I guess, after Catherine and George Tedesco had broken up, I believe. Tommy Bell was a former client of Catherine's. It was also discovered that after the murder, Catherine and her attorney, Lloyd Oliver, had broken into the crime scene to take items which she claimed belonged to her. She had taken a TV, some pottery, $140 cash, her own driver's license, and an antique sword. So I'm pretty sure her own driver's license did belong to her, fair, but everything else, who knows. Catherine later claimed that Tedesco was involved in some illegal activities and was violent with her, and these claims are absolutely unsubstantiated. And just to put everyone at ease, nobody bought the original common law claim or the widow claim, so Catherine was never able to get her hands on any of George's things or his estate. But, again, his murder is unsolved. And everybody thinks she did it. Just saying. God, child's still coughing. Okay. Whew. You got I'm really, I'm really pregnant. <laughs> This is really crushing me. All right, all right. I got it, I got it. Here we go. (laughs) This house is a mess. No, it's coughing and coughing. Thankfully, two of the, everyone else is out. All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. So next, in 1979, Catherine started dating a man named Gary Taylor. Now, Gary Taylor, I have kind of the most information on. Um... There was a an episode. I think I'm supposed to get to it later, but um, where is it? Um, there's an episode of um, a show called Your Worst Nightmare, which is it's on. I I found it on Apple TV. Paid three dollars for it, so worth it. Um, but it's like one of those like true crime reenactment shows, and it it just the episode just focused on that one this one relationship so that's where i got all the information most of the information from this relationship and gary taylor was in it and he was um interviewed so like a lot of this is firsthand information from him but Catherine started dating gary taylor in 1979 he was a local newspaper reporter who was covering the george tedesco case and gary had become very intrigued with Catherine. um I think because 
um, rumors were going around that she killed George Tedesco. Everyone was saying that she killed George Tedesco. And she was also a practicing lawyer and she was like attractive and whatever. George was also going through a divorce. So he was kind of newly single out on the town, you know. And he was like a cool guy, so I don't know. Um, so the two of them began casually dating and partying and whatever. And some, a lot of places described it as an, as an affair, but I mean, he was getting divorced. I don't think, um, I don't think it was technically an affair. I don't think, and I think she was actually single. So maybe an affair kind of, since they weren't technically divorced, but like, that's very technical. Anyway, Gary was really looking for a little excitement in his life, but not really anything serious. And Catherine certainly provided that. He said that they had a great four weeks together, but then that he spent months trying to get away from her. Um, Gary claims that Catherine eventually, after the four weeks, started getting very possessive and jealous of his wife and children. And that she would every so often make weird comments about how maybe she had killed George Tedesco. But then she would just say she was kidding. And he was like, what the fuck? Gary says that when he tried to break up with her, she was enraged and she started sleeping with, like, basically she was like, no. Um, And Gary, I think, didn't, like, leave, really. Um, and she started sleeping with a gun on her bedside table and being like really sly about it, being like, oh, I have this for protection, blah, blah, blah. But it was like really threatening and menacing. He talked extensively about how threatening Catherine, um, how threatening Catherine got near the end of the relationship. And then especially when he actually tried to end things, um, and that she, you know, she would like freak out and scream and then say that she would accuse him of assaulting her and you know it's actually a pretty um plausible threat given that she's a lawyer and she clearly knows her way around that kind of thing so he was he was pretty worried now after that both parties claim that the other person was like after the fact of the relationship both he and Catherine claim that the other was the instigator of the relationship and Shockingly later, Catherine denied the relationship altogether. Gary says that multiple times while they were together, he heard Catherine threatening other people and saying things like, quote, remember what happened to George, end quote. And after he thought that um, they officially broke up, Catherine continued to call him and constantly harass him. Um, and she would stalk him and like, um, there was one incident portrayed in the show that she called his wife ex-wife whatever and said that he had left the children with her and to come pick them up and so the wife comes and like to come pick up her kids and he arrives at the same time and is like what are you doing here and she's like I came to pick up the kids and he's like I just dropped them off with you or whatever and like like Catherine was trying to lure her over to the empty house basically to do what I don't know so Gary was pretty worried about this so he ended up going to the DA for help um which is district attorney if anybody doesn't know Gary made a full affidavit laying out all the claims about Catherine including stating that she had confessed to killing George Tedesco even though she did say that it was a joke after um but Gary 
was genuinely afraid for his safety and wanted to lay something out in case something ever happened to him. He wanted to have something in writing. Now, the DA at the time gave him a tape recorder and told him that he should start recording all of his phone calls, which, by the way, I highly suggest that people do. If you're ever in a a weird situation with somebody or you're making some sort of deal, like my mom has been dealing with this. They're trying to redo their kitchen and this really annoying contractor stuff with the company it's company anyway and I'm like mom you should have just like recorded all your conversations because they're trying to like charge her a different amount of money now and whatever and I even like we just went and bought a car and they're like oh yeah like we'll trade in your car and we'll give you this much money and the car's not going to be here until August but we'll give we'll, we'll still like say we'll still give you this much money for it and yeah it'll definitely come in August and it's like is it going to come in August are you going to offer me the same price I don't know like it's just I wish I recorded them. And I'm going to be a lot more loose with uh, recording people, but don't tell anyone. Anyway, just, you know, any, if, anytime you want to hold someone to their word and it's not being written down, there's no harm in just recording it. Anyway, so as soon as Gary started recording the phone calls, Catherine figured it out. I don't know how she realized, but... So she would either show up in person to harass Gary or she would call and hang up and like never say anything. So after that, in order to continue to harass him, she started calling Gary's friend Jim and saying that she wanted to talk to him about all the stuff that Gary had done to her. And obviously um, he kept trying to avoid her and he was telling Gary about it. But then Gary said, you know what, Call, let her call you and let her talk to you and record the conversation. So Jim ended up recording a pretty intense conversation. And this conversation, or this, it was really just a recording of her. Um, it was insane. It was just her screaming and saying all these things that he'd done to her and how horrible he'd been to her and he harassed her. But like she's screaming at the top of her lungs and acting like a completely, I don't know how else to say it, but like an, a nut job, like a crazy person. And from then on, this tape would be referred to as the exorcist tape. And I've heard some of it. It was in, Some of it was in the 48 Hours episode. It is, it's, it's crazy. Um, if I can find it, if I'm able to find it and put it here, I will. But I don't know if I'll be able to. So stay tuned. Anyway, Gary took this tape and he let the press listen to it, the recording. And Catherine got really mad. And apparently then she showed up at, I guess, I don't know where the press is but like at the courthouse um where all these people had heard the tape, and she started throwing a fit and causing a huge scene and started throwing things and then she started stalking gary and just so you know just to for my own ass she denies these allegations anything i'm saying that she did i'm like the the tape we know is real because i've heard it um but the stalking cannot confirm this is gary's claim then one day on January, in January of 1980, Gary's house was burglarized. Another burglary, interesting. And Gary says he knew this was the work of Catherine. Um, and so he ended up going to her house, either to con- like in the in the worst your worst nightmare show. I think he went there to like confront her, and um, he thought that if he could get some of his stuff back from her, that this would be good proof that she did it. Um, so that's why he went to go accuse her of burglarizing his home. 
Um, and when she was there, she told him, she was like, you know what, you're right. Go in that closet over there and take a look and there's some of your stuff. And um, when she went to do that, he looked in the closet and there was nothing in the closet. Um, so he turned around and she was coming into the room with a gun and she had the gun aimed at him and he tried to use the closet door to shield himself and Catherine started talking to him allegedly according to Gary telling him that he was going to die and so Gary said he made a split second decision to run at her he grabbed a nearby chair and went to hit her with it but she shot him through the chair and nicked his ear Gary then ran to the front door unlocked the deadbolt but Catherine was tailing behind him and before or like just as he was getting out or before he was getting out she shot him in the back and he got out the door but fell to the ground um, and then he was able to get himself up and get himself to a nearby store where somebody was able to call 911. Gary came very close to dying that night the bullet missed his heart by one centimeter according to the doctors. Now Catherine was arrested for this and she was charged for attempted murder. She claimed self-defense which is very funny because he was shot in the back. Just saying. Uh, she said that Gary was trying to kill her and that she somehow managed to get the upper hand. And it was during this trial that the incident from the beginning of the episode that I talked about occurred. So that's where we were in the story when she had that little possible mental breakdown situation where she threatened to kill that guy. I think it was a defense attorney. Um, so clearly Catherine was not doing so hot at this time. In the end, however, the jury was deadlocked. Uh, on the jury, there were, I think it was, it was either five men and seven women or seven men and five women, whatever, it was split that way. But all the men found her guilty and all the women found her not guilty. And so that ended in a hung jury. In the second trial, Catherine was convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison, but she didn't serve any time. She was able to appeal the verdict while remaining out on probation, uh, and the case was eventually overturned. And I really, I've looked, I cannot figure out why. I don't know what the hell she did. Um, but then, well, this is what she did. She, instead of going through a third trial, Catherine made a deal that she would plead guilty to aggravated assault assault and serve probation I don't know why they allowed her to do this but it was like that they they wanted her to um plead guilty to a felony and she did but then they only gave her probation and she was also um temporarily barred from practicing law and later convinced a judge to set aside the conviction entirely so she got some pull in this courthouse I don't know why because everybody thinks she's nuts it, it, I don't quite understand how that all happened, but it did. When interviewed um, by Jenna Jackson on 48 Hours later, Catherine said this of the um, Gary Taylor situation. Quote, I mean, if somebody had shot me in their own home, which is really a violation of hospitality, I'd wonder what kind of guest I was to merit that kind of behavior. This woman is 
she's interesting because the way that she denies all the allegations and like deflects everything is like you know she's got an she's got an answer for everything or she doesn't and she's she just like blames everything on the other people and is like well you know if somebody shot me in their home I'd be like what what did I do and it's like would you though I don't think you would be like that um if you if you live in the states or if you are tech savvy in any way and know how to get shit illegally on the internet which I don't really um it's worth watching the 48 hours mystery just to get the interview footage of her I've seen like little clips of it uh she's a she's quite the quite the character this woman but our story does not end here um there's a lot and just so you know she still claims to this day to be innocent of shooting uh Gary claiming that she did do it but she did it in self-defense now Tommy Bell remember him he was involved possibly in the George Tedesco murder we know that he robbed George Tedesco he was tried and charged for that um, and then he was accused of being um, involved in his murder. Well, he was found shot dead in his own apartment. His roommate said that Tommy Bell was in his room playing Russian roulette by himself and accidentally shot himself in the head. Interestingly, though, while 48 Hours was looking back through the uh, police files on the case, they found some investigators' notes that claimed that the roommate's fingerprints were actually found on the gun, the same roommate who mentioned the Russian roulette story. He later claimed that he moved the gun, but it was also discovered that the roommate, and I don't know how how much I trust this information, but I'm going to put it out there, that this roommate was actually dating Catherine at the time. He said that he... F- he was driving by one day and saw her on the side of the road changing a tire and offered to help her and then they started going out and at the time of tommy bell's mysterious russian roulette accidental death suicide he was seeing Catherine. allegedly the investigators said that despite learning all of this they didn't have enough to go off at the time and there was very little further investigation, and Tommy Bell's death was labeled an accident. In 1981, Catherine moved away from Houston and married a man named Clint Shelton. I think this is where she became Catherine Shelton. Uh, They later would settle in Dallas. Now, he was from a small town, and he was an expert marksman, and his family owned a gun shop, so that's what they did. Now, once her probation was over in 1984, she got her law license back and she opened up a new practice in 1988 so just just practicing law again good old Catherine and things were quiet with Catherine and her new life for about 10 years she no no issues and the marriage seemed fine by all accounts in 1999 Catherine and Clint had just bought a new home and they hired a contractor named Chris Henson Hansen to do some work on it for them before they moved in. Chris was a Canadian, shout out, um, who Catherine was doing some immigration work for. And around this time, Chris Hansen was mysteriously found in Catherine's home by her husband, Clint, hanging naked in a closet, dead. 
naked in a closet, hanging by his neck. Now, Chris's death was ruled an accidental death by none other than autoerotic asphyxiation, which (laughs) seems to come up a lot on this show, you guys. What a lot of people find unusual about this ruling was, A, it links back to Catherine, who we all know her history to this point. So that's suspicious in itself. And B, most people who die by autoerotic asphyxiation are not found in someone else's home. I'm sure it's happened and that people experiment with their sexual fetishes at other people's homes sometimes, but it is much more common common to experiment with that kind of thing in your own home. So it's kind of weird that that's what they're claiming happened when he was like at work. It happens. BTK was doing that kind of shit at work. We know that. But this guy didn't really seem like a BTK. So that's that happened. It was ruled an accident. And I guess Catherine got herself a new contractor. And all was fine. Now, then we meet Marissa Hierro. And she was an ex-employee of Catherine Shelton. She'd recently quit Catherine's practice and opened up her own immigration consulting business. Catherine had been pissed about this, and the women had been fighting with each other, both accusing the other of scamming clients. Now, Marissa knew a bit about the beef with Chris Henson and Catherine Shelton. They did have some beef together, apparently. And Marissa said that Chris had confided in her and that Catherine had been scamming money from him, but he was too scared to go to the authorities because he wasn't yet an American citizen. So that's her, Marissa's claim for the motive behind allegedly her claim that Catherine murdered Chris Henson. Then on December 20th, 1999, Marissa and her husband Michael had just arrived home in their truck. They pulled around to the back of their home and got out of the vehicle when all of a sudden Michael got shot. Marissa turned around and saw two masked figures. One was a man holding a gun and one was a petite woman. Marissa was shot and landed face first. The woman was begin giving instructions to the man, telling him to shoot Marissa again. The man was super hesitant and did not shoot her again, and the two fled. Michael was de- died immediately from this, and Marissa had been shot in the arm, so she would live. Now, as soon as authorities were called, Marissa began to announce that this had been the work of Catherine Shelton. She was sure of it, and she had recognized her voice. Catherine later claimed that she was at home talking on the phone at this time, so it couldn't have been her. But her husband, Clint, was charged with the murder and aggravated assault. On a construction site near the murder scene in a porta potty, police had found two latex gloves and a mask made from pantyhose. And Clint's DNA was found on the mask. And disgusting was found in a porta potty. I wonder if it was sitting in poop. That's so gross. I hate porta potties. I hate porta potties. But also, I'm a pregnant woman in the city, so I have to use them often. And it's disgusting. Disgusting. Anyway, in 2000, Clint was found guilty for gunning down the heroes, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Both Clint and Catherine still deny any involvement in the murders. Marissa tried to file a wrongful death lawsuit against Catherine, but then Catherine countersued, claiming that she had been falsely accused. And Catherine ended up winning the suit by default because Marissa and her lawyer did not show up in court. Why did they not show up in court? I don't know. 
But the ruling was that Marissa had libeled Catherine by accusing her of murder, and the judge awarded Catherine, I don't know how much, but multiple millions of dollars in damages. Can you believe it? This woman knows her way around a court, okay? She's crazy. She's a nutso lady. I'm going to say that, but she's not dumb, and that's a scary mixture. Catherine, to this day, is still very upset about Clint being locked up, and she sat down with Jenna Jackson in 2016 to explain that Clint was not responsible for Michael's death. She talked about um, how she thought she had thought very thoroughly about whether it was possible that she had been there herself and she had blacked out and didn't know she did it, but she was assured by a psychologist that she had on staff at her practice that it was impossible. After all, she was at home on the phone at the time. So she couldn't have been there. Then she told Jenna who was responsible. Marissa. Catherine claims that Marissa was running an immigration scam and that she was taking money from people who were applying for green cards. And lawyers for some of Marissa's ex-clients do claim that this is true. Catherine went on to say that Michael was going to the authorities and that he knew too much. And that's why Marissa decided to kill him and I guess shoot herself in the arm. Marissa has denied all of these accusations, but I still don't know why she didn't show up in court that day. Catherine also went on to claim that her husband was an expert marksman and owned a lot of high-powered guns, and the gun used uh, in the murder of Michael Hierro was a crude, sawed-off shotgun. So Catherine claims that Clint would never have used such a weapon, although a lot of other people argue that that is exactly why Clint would have used that type of weapon to make it look like he it wasn't him, whatever. Um, and so that later on he could claim that it wasn't him. Now, Toby Shook, the former prosecutor on the case, says that Clint is absolutely guilty and that Catherine is still considered a person of interest in the case. In 2020, Jenna sat down with Catherine again. Jenna first asked about Gary Taylor. Catherine denied that she was responsible for the robbery of Gary Taylor's home which was the catalyst for this whole incident. And she said that she had offered to help him get his stuff back, and, you know, how nice it was. Catherine even denied dating Taylor to th- in 2020 and said that she knew he was writing a story about her. And her version of events goes like this. Catherine said that they were both out for the night and he came over at the end of the night for a nightcap. And she claims that he walked out of the room and came back with one of her own guns, which she knew to be unloaded. She told him that she knew it was unloaded, and he said, quote, it is now, end quote. She said she tried to distract him. She told him that his stolen things were in her closet. And when he turned around to look inside, she pulled a gun out from under her bed and shot him. Then he hid behind the chair and she shot him through the chair and chased him out the door and shot him in the back. Now Gary denies pointing the gun at her that night, still to this day, and Catherine denies all the allegations against her. She says she never killed anyone, nor has she ever paid anyone or offered anyone anything of value to kill anyone. She does admit to some of the violent incidents, but only in situations of self-defense. She also now says, and she's in her 70s now, she says that she's found Jesus and she wants to put the past behind her. But she's also pissed about Clint being locked up. And that is the information. That's that's all I found on Catherine Shelton. This woman 
has never seen the inside of a jail cell for any of these incidents. Multiple men are dead. Some have been shot. Marissa also was shot. Um, and it's just a, it's a very uh, baffling case. And it's not even a case because it's just a story because that's it. Um, and the, the, the two part 48 hours mystery is definitely worth, um, watching, especially if you like 48 hours, which I do the, uh, the year worst nightmare, I wouldn't pay for it. I wouldn't suggest it. Um, but if you're interested in hearing from Gary, it is kind of interesting. Um, and I think it's very unlikely that she will ever see any punishment for any of this. Again, as I said, she's in her seventies. So, um, who knows how much longer she has? Who knows how much interest people have in in the case? Um, but the dynamic um, on the forty eight hours between Jenna and her is quite interesting, um, as she's Jenna has interviewed her a number of times over the years. So Catherine is pretty like she she knows what she's doing. She knows how to like chat without. Um, without implicating herself in any of these things but she's also like quite playful and quite like you know she'll say things like you know like I've done a lot of weird a lot of things in my life or like she like somewhat alludes to being involved in some of these scenarios um so you know like this is not all bullshit there's a lot of allegations I've never heard of anybody with this many allegations against her and similar allegations like it's a lot of stalking and and burglarizing and I think stalking is so scary uh the way that they portrayed it with the Gary thing like it was scary because you know he's got kids and uh she may or may not have murdered her last husband or paid someone to do so um so it's it's a very very interesting case and if anything new ever comes out of it um, I will update because it would be interesting to see if any evidence ever comes out, maybe old DNA or, or anything. Um, yeah. Let me know uh, what you rate it. Hopefully Hannah will listen to it and give us her thoughts um, at the beginning of the next episode. Um, thank you, Taylor, for telling me about this, this story. Um, hopefully I have a baby by the time we do in the next episode. Or maybe we'll get to record one before. We'll see. Um, please check out our TikTok. I've just been putting a couple things on there. At Who's Knocking Podcast is probably. Um, Instagram, at Who's Knocking Podcast. Uh, Twitter, at Who's Knocking Pod. And um, email us, hello, at Who's Knocking Podcast.com. Give me some more suggestions because I, I liked the suggestion It was a good one. And please stay safe out there because you never know who's knocking. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Lost Line Media. Artwork by August Digital. Music by Matthew Cook.